0: Uh, two weeks ago, we spent a whole message reflecting on the problem of human wickedness in chapter two, verses one to three. Just to give you guys a brief, brief recap, uh, humanity is is wholly evil in nature, enslaved by Satan and the world, controlled by evil desires, deserving of God's punishment. These truths about sin and human nature are are dark. They're they're unpleasant. They're frightening. But it's essential to understand them and think about what they mean, because without understanding how corrupt and hopeless we were, we won't understand our need for a savior. It's only in realizing these truths that people can understand God's grace. God's grace is his goodness and blessing towards those who only deserve punishment. So this morning, we're going to reflect on how great and amazing God's grace towards believers is. And then we'll consider how a deeper understanding of grace changes how we live. So let's start. We're going to read a Bible passage this morning. Ephesians chapter 2, starting from verse 1. Follow along. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that anyone may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I mentioned in the last message on Ephesians that this passage is full of compare and contrasts. It compares who people are without faith in Jesus to who believers have become through faith in Jesus. Without Jesus, in verses 1 to 3, people are sons of disobedience, children of wrath by nature, who walk in sin. With Jesus, in verse 10, believers are God's workmanship, created for good. Without Jesus, people are dead in sin, enslaved to Satan and the world, controlled by evil desire. With Jesus, believers are made alive, seated in heaven, ruling over Satan and the world, carrying out God's purpose for them. When comparing the bad with the good, you actually run out of bad things to compare the good things with. God has so much more to say about his grace in salvation than about sin. His love, his mercy, his kindness and grace fills the second half, of this passage. So, so when you look, you know, verse four and verse eight repeat by grace you have been saved. In verse 7, God wants to show the immeasurable riches of his grace in the coming ages. You know, God's grace is so abundant, there's not enough time in the present to receive all of it. So the passage starts to differentiate between Grace that God has for believers in the present and grace that God wants to show believers in the future. Uh, Understanding and receiving all of this grace is essential for Christians to confidently be all that God has created them and called them to be as His workmanship. So, so, So to sum all that up, I'll take us to our main point, and it's this. Accepting God's grace brings freedom to fulfill His good salvation purposes. Accepting God's grace brings freedom to fulfill His good salvation purposes. Have you ever received a gift that was so valuable that you couldn't bring yourself to accept it? When I was a child... I got interested in learning how to play the piano. The problem was, I didn't have a real piano to properly learn with. And at the time, my parents didn't have the financial resources to buy a piano. One of their friends somehow found out and offered to buy my family a piano. Now, the first time they offered, my parents did not accept. And of course, they didn't tell me so I didn't know anything about this, until after months and months of insistence and convincing, uh, my parents finally decided to accept the friend's offer. And I'm thankful for that, or else I wouldn't be able to play piano. Have you ever received a gift that was so valuable you couldn't bring yourself to accept it? Grace is undeserved, unearned goodness and blessing from God. Verse 8 tells us salvation is a gift that is given because of grace. God freely gives salvation, not because of who people are or what they do, but because of who He is. God is a God who is gracious. God does good things for those who do not deserve it. God's gift of salvation is received through faith meaning it's received through believing and accepting that it's given without any conditions or requirements. Accepting grace is essential for salvation. But accepting grace is the most difficult thing for people to do, and this is also true for believers. A big reason is because we live in a sinful world that is, that is graceless that the concept of receiving undeserved benefit is completely foreign to how the world works. We live in a world that is based on merit and mutual benefit. There is always something you have to do or someone you owe for the benefits you receive. Be it you work hard to get yourself a promotion, or the expectations of parents who have given you the benefits to succeed. There is no such thing as something that's truly free in the world. Free things given brings benefit to the giver in some way. What you receive as a gift will have to be repaid in a different way, if not financially, then perhaps socially. So you can be sure that every step of my piano career, my parents made sure I updated auntie and uncle on how I was doing, wrote them a thank you card, and every time we visited them, I would be performing piano pieces for them. Have you ever received a gift that was so valuable you couldn't bring yourself to accept it? Why did you reject it? is it that causes us not to accept a gift? Here are a couple of common reasons. We feel we do not have the ability to pay someone back for what they want to give. We don't want to live feeling like we owe something to someone. We don't want to obligate ourselves relationally to the person we receive from. You know, if I accept this gift, I'm going to have to be more responsive and nice to this friend or relative, and I don't really want to do that. You know, I don't want them to bring it back in the future as something that I owe them. Now, behind these reasons for rejecting a gift is one basic assumption. People are not Gracious. People are not gracious. Human beings don't naturally give something without conditions. There's always a self-seeking motive or catch. But this is not the case with God. God truly and wholly freely gives the gift of salvation because His very nature is grace. And this brings us to the main problem when it comes to following what this passage wants us to do. God is kind, rich in mercy and grace, but people do not trust that he is. They believe God is like the ungracious people in the world. And this is true for both believers and unbelievers. You no, know, it's crucial for believers to trust God's grace because salvation only comes by grace. But it's also essential for believers to continue to accept God's grace. Christians are not only saved by grace, they are saved for Grace. Not just saved by grace, we are saved for grace. Growing in salvation requires a growing acceptance of God's grace. And it's this growing acceptance of grace that frees Christians to fulfill God's salvation purpose for us. Imagine you're offered a gift of one million Hong Kong dollars. Okay, one million Hong Kong dollars. You can do a lot with that. At the time, you really need the money. Uh, There are some living expenses. You you can't afford to pay for yourself. So you choose to accept the gift, but you tell yourself, I'm only going to use the money that I really need to pay off the debt. I'm going to save the rest, wait till I can earn back the amount of money I used, and return it. The gift is free, but you've placed conditions on it for yourself. This is how all believers in different way treat God's gift of salvation. We only open part of the present. We only take the grace we believe we absolutely need and we feel we have the ability to pay back someday. And then we leave the rest. We tell ourselves, praise God, I'm saved from the punishment of sin. I have some spiritual blessings in my life, but that's enough. I don't want to take more from God. I don't want to be ungrateful. I don't want to owe God more. I feel bad enough as it is for not being a good enough Christian. This is the wrong attitude to have. It's exactly the opposite of the attitude that God wants for us. God desires to freely give grace. Not fully receiving it would be the ungrateful thing to do. And this attitude that does not trust God's character enough to accept more of his grace keeps Christians from all the good things God wants to give to them. It allows sin and failure to paralyze believers from the freedom that grace brings to live for God. Like the air that we breathe, Christians need grace every second of our lives. We cannot be spiritually sustained without it. But many times, we live like God is charging us for every breath of grace that we take. So we live our lives like holding our breaths. Until we have to gasp for another breath because we realize we need grace. We need God in our lives. And God in this passage is telling us, you've got it wrong. I am rich in mercy. The grace I have is immeasurable and free. I am kind and compassionate. I want you to receive all of my grace. There is no Christian living on earth who has fully accepted the grace that God offers in the gospel. If that were true, we would already be perfect and sinless. Believers need to continually be reminded of what grace is and their need for it so they can go to God in faith to receive it. So we're going to spend the rest of this morning reflecting on the different aspects of grace in this passage and how trusting it frees believers to fulfill God's purpose for us. We're going to look at four aspects of grace. Uh, First, how present grace rescues from past evil. Second, how present grace secures future grace. Third, how future grace leads believers into present grace, and lastly, how God's nature and glory is the basis of all grace. So we're going to start with the first point, and that's present grace rescues from past evil. Look at verses 5 and 6. It reminds believers of the grace we have already through trusting Jesus. By grace, we have been saved. It's in the past tense. Grace has already been given to us. The result is that grace is something available to us in the present, right here, right now. There are a few key ways that grace has rescued a Christian. First, grace has made us alive. It has given us new life. Before, we were dead in sin. We were totally unable to do anything good. We could do nothing but sin. We were completely unresponsive to who God was. We were people deserving punishment. But God rescued us by giving us spiritual life. Our our very nature has been transformed from evil to good. Believers have a, a desire and ability to please God. We have a love for God and others. We no longer deserve punishment for sin. God's wrath is no longer aimed at us. We are saved. But on top of that, in verse 6, Christians are seated with Jesus in the heavenly places. We are no longer controlled by the ways of the world and the powers of Satan that lead people into sin. In fact, it's the opposite. We have power over Satan. We have the ability to resist the pressure of the world. Salvation is deliverance from death, from slavery, from wrath. But it's more than that. It's also union with Jesus' life. So a key word that's repeated again and again in verses 5 to 6 is with Christ or together with Christ. All that God has done to graciously rescue us is done through a believer being connected or united to Jesus. The new life that we have comes from This connection with Jesus, the power that we have over Satan that frees us comes from being connected to Jesus. You think of it like this: like light bulbs that are plugged into a power socket. Through faith, Christians have been connected to Jesus, who electrifies us with His spiritual life. The life of Jesus constantly empowers the Christian's whole life: our thoughts, our feelings, our desires, our actions. This is the present grace of God that's available for Christian at all times. And remembering this grace keeps us from discouragement and fear that comes from the failures of sin in the past and in the present. Sometimes believers, you know, we look back on some of the terrible things we've done in the past and we feel inadequate. We feel unqualified, unable to do anything for God. Other times you look at all the sin that we still have in our lives. It's in these moments that remembering God's present grace frees us. Yes, I was once dead in sin, unable to do anything good, but now because of grace, I am empowered by Jesus' life so that I can please God and live for Him. Remembering our past state of deadness in sin puts our current situation of struggling with sin in the perspective of grace. See, though believers struggle with sin, the fact that it's a struggle is a miracle of grace. Before faith in Jesus, a person had no ability to to struggle with sin. Sin ruled us. It's what we wanted to do and loved to do. But now Present grace in Jesus empowers believers so that we desire to please God and not sin, and we strive to do so. Believers are freed from the fear that comes with failure of not being able to save themselves. Because the truth is, we can never save ourselves to begin with. But now, with grace, instead of fearing inability, we can rejoice in the ability God has given to us. So as Christians grow in grace that's present in our lives, we're freed from our past and our present failures. We're enabled to move forward in faith with confidence. And this connects to the second point about grace in this passage. Present grace secures future grace. Present grace secures future grace. Look at verse 7. It tells us the reason why God has saved believers by grace, and it's so that in the coming ages, He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. The reason why God has given believers grace here and now is because He wants to fully reveal His grace to them in the future. And to make this really clear, the reason God will show grace to believers in the future is repeated again in verse 8, for by grace you have been saved, the past secures the present. The basis for grace is grace. It's how grace works. Jesus explains the concept of grace like this in Matthew 13:12, for to the one who has, more will be given and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Doesn't seem fair, does it? Because it's not. Grace is not fair. The concept of grace is completely opposite to how the world works. In the world, once something has been given, you need to make up for what you've received, and you don't get more until you've paid it off. And many times, this is how Christians view grace. We believe God has given us salvation, but he's actually keeping track of how we're doing to see if we live up to what he's given to us. We believe God's gift is given freely, but it's kept with conditions. And that he's going to take away his gift if we make too many mistakes. But this isn't how grace works. Grace is given so that more grace can be given. Verse 7, God wants to show, meaning he wants to make known the full extent of his grace towards believers. God has so much grace that there is not enough time in the present to give all of it. It's immeasurable. There's no end to it. So to fulfill his desire to fully show his grace, God starts off by giving some of it in the present and continues to reveal more and more of his grace as time moves from present into eternity. God gives grace in the present, not as a test, but to show us greater grace in the future. When you think about your future, when you think about the future of your family, of your city, of the world, What's your outlook? Is it positive or negative? Is it hopeful or hopeless? Taking hold of present grace allows believers to look ahead to the future with confidence. God has already shown grace. He desires to show more than what we've already experienced. This is true in the midst of all the setbacks and failures we encounter. This is true in the midst of the uncertainties ahead of us. Every seeming setback and failure will be redeemed to highlight the greatness of God's grace. They will show more of God's goodness towards those who are undeserving. And we can be confident of that because of the grace that God has already shown to us. Specifically, look at verse 10. We are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Look at all these fours. All all these fours are connected Verse 7 is about future grace. Verse 8 and 10 tells us why we can be sure of future grace. Verse 8, for we've been saved by grace. Verse 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Both things are past tense. God's grace has recreated believers for the purpose of grace. God's grace has recreated believers for the purpose of grace. Salvation is not just resurrection from the dead and rescue from slavery and punishment. Salvation is also being made into a new creation. It's God taking people who were children of wrath by nature and recreating them so that they are His workmanship, His masterpieces. It's God taking sons of disobedience, turning them into people who are created to do good works. And this gets to the core of who believers have become. We've been changed from being evil in nature to being good. We do good because God has made us good and has repurposed us for good as our creator. And this act of present grace, what God has done to make us into his workmanship secures God's grace towards us in the future. God only has good things in store for us, because he's made us good people who are worthy of his goodness. And what believers need to do is accept this act of grace that's been done for them. It's only by admitting that we were nothing and that we could do nothing that we're free to enjoy God's grace in the present and look forward to his grace in the future. Acceptance of grace ultimately comes down to whose work do you trust? Yourselves or God's. Verse 8 tells us, For by grace you've been saved. It's not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not a result of works. Verse 10 then says, For we, for we are God's workmanship. There's a compare and contrast between the inability of human work and the ability of God's work in salvation. Salvation is wholly an act of God's grace from beginning to end. There was nothing in people that could make it happen. God, the creator, had to create a new creation. God, the life giver, had to breathe life into a dead body. And all of these images are meant to bring believers to the point where they realize and they admit, I really did not do anything to deserve God's salvation. He did it for me because He is a gracious God who wants to show grace. Present grace rescues from past evil. Present grace secures future grace. The third point for this morning is that future grace leads believers into present grace. Future grace leads believers into present grace We are his workmanship created in Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God has saved us. He's made us into his workmanship. But not only that, he's prepared good works for us to do in the future. Good works are things that honor God, that glorify him, and that are beneficial and loving towards those around us. And our response to what God has done is to walk in them, is to carry them out. Salvation is not only resurrection from the dead. Salvation is not only rescue from slavery and punishment. Salvation is not only being made into a new creation. Salvation is also restoration to fulfill God's intended purpose for humanity. And our purpose is to bring him honor and glory by reflecting who he is. And God has guaranteed a way for us to live out our creation purpose. He's already marked out a path of future good works that we're going to do to glorify Him. And when we understand this truth correctly, it should excite us. It should excite you. It should motivate believers to want to do all that we can in the present to obey God. One of the greatest things that holds believers back from loving and serving others, from sharing the gospel, is, again, fear of failure. You know, What if I'm not able to care for this person? What if I don't have enough energy and emotional strength? What if I say something wrong that turns somebody away from the faith? We can get trapped in all of the ifs of what could go wrong because we're so focused on ourselves. And here God is saying to us, you don't have to worry about that. I've already planned good works for you to do in advance. You will do these good works. You will glorify me because you are my workmanship. And this is where present grace and future grace come together. We look at our lives in the present. We see that all that God has done to change us from our past, you know, despite the sin we still have, we do have this desire to love and obey God. And then we look to the future, We see in his word that God has prepared good works for us to do in advance. God's grace in the present pushes us ahead. God's grace in the future calls us forward. (coughs) And we get the amazing privilege of seeing it all unfold in our lives and in the lives of other believers. Now you might be wondering... What exactly are these good works? How do I know that I'm doing the right work? It's this unknown element that should actually excite and motivate us. As God's workmanship, believers have the privilege of discovering the grace that God has already given to us in the future. It's like we're on a treasure hunt for grace. We don't know what exactly we'll find, but we know that what we're going to find is going to be amazing. And we know that we are guaranteed to find the treasure because God has already planned it out for us. Proverbs 24:25-2 puts it this way. It is the glory of God to conceal things, but it is the glory of kings to search things out. And in Christ, we are seated in the heavenly places. We are kings and queens Knowing God's intention for us in the future allows us to walk in grace in the present. The future is purposeful. It's bright, it's clear, it's secure. God's present and future grace tells us we're his workmanship. We can't help but honor and glorify God, and we're going to succeed in it even if we fail along the way. What are some ways you've been considering how to serve others? What are some ways you've been considering how to serve others? Who is someone on your heart that you want to serve but you've been reluctant to? Go and do it. Walk in it. Discover the good works that God has planned for you. Discover the grace that God wants to show you. You cannot fail to glorify God. He's already saved you by grace to do so. Simply accept it in faith and rejoice. We're going to conclude with our last point for this morning. And it really ties everything together, it gives us a sure foundation for trusting God and it's this. God's nature and glory is the basis of all grace. Take a look at verse 4 again. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us together with Christ. Now after thinking about all the beautiful, overwhelming aspects of grace, we're brought back to where it all started, where it all came from, who God is. God loves his children greatly. Out of this love, God pours out his riches and mercy and immeasurable grace. Like a parent who wants to give all the best things for their child, so God wants to give all the best things he can for believers. The difference is there's no end to the good things that God can give us and wants to give us. God gives grace because it's who he is. And God wants the whole universe to know his grace. And so God uses believers like you and like me as a canvas, as a storybook to write his grace for all to read. He wants to show the immeasurable riches of his grace. The reason for grace is not because of anything that people are, but wholly because of who God is. He is gracious and wants to show his grace to the world. So accepting grace really goes back to the foundation of faith in the gospel. Do we trust that God is merciful, gracious, loving, and kind? And to some degree, if you're a Christian, you you, you do. What we don't trust is just how unending God's grace truly is. We all put limits to God's grace. We all try to make up for it with what we can do in some way. And the root issue behind this is that we place too much importance on ourselves. We feel like grace is about us, so that we need to do something about it. When the truth is, grace is not about us. It's about God being who he is. Grace is not about us. It's about God being who He is and revealing who He is. It's not of ourselves. Grace is received ultimately when you accept it's not about you. And as we do that, as we accept that it's not about us, it's about God, we gain the confidence to walk in the good works because we know it glorifies God and not ourselves. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you sent your son Jesus. He came full of grace and truth. And we are so thankful for that. We thank you that in Jesus we have all the grace that we need, grace upon grace, grace in the past, grace in the present, grace in the future. It's all around us, God, but we are so blind to it much of the time. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would help us understand these words that we've just heard you would help us to see how much grace that you have for us in the present how much you've transformed us help us to see how beautifully you've already created us to be as your creation i pray that we as eec would be able to confidently walk into the good works that you have prepared for us here in hong kong would we walk confidently in it would we walk being excited and joyful in it, God. Would you give us the faith to receive more of your grace today and for the future into eternity? In the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.